Welcome to the Insight Podcast. Joining me on the show today is Daniel Schreiber. Daniel is the author of Alone, Reflections on Solitary Living, a book where he draws on his personal experience as well as philosophy and sociology to explore the tension between the desire for solitude and freedom and for companionship, intimacy and love. So I talked to Daniel about his thoughts on the seesaw of emotions that comes with being single and living on your own, why he thinks it's possible to live a happy, content life without being in a relationship, whether he's lost faith in love, society's attitude towards relationships, marriage and single life, the role friendship plays in his life and the question of whether these friendships can fill the voids left by a partner. The shame that can be felt by those in the LGBTQ plus community and how to navigate this and much more. Enjoy the episode. So, Daniel, congratulations on the book. Um, Thank you very much. Oh no! Like I, I think I finished it in a couple of days. Um, it is it's so well written, um, and it, it just it spoke to me. It's it's a fantastic book. It's it's titled Alone, um, and it really it captures that spectrum of emotions that someone can go through when they're single, living alone, feeling isolated. And so, I guess I want to first ask you about that. Um, kind of the theme that I suppose runs through the book, which is this seesaw of emotions, isn't it? That you can mm-hmm. feel, you can be very, you know, I've, I think I've even tweeted about this where you can be very happy and proud of the life that you've built, but at the same time you get that longing for someone to share it with and, and you do miss right. someone and you do feel like something's missing. Yeah. Um, and, and you describe uh, like this tension, you call it the tension between a freedom, the happiness that solitude offers but then there's that desire as well for love and companionship. Mm. So c- can we start there? Like, what, what are your thoughts? Can you talk more about that, that tension? Yeah, definitely. You know, <clears throat> basically, I think what, you, you know, when you describe when you say tension, is it's, um, it's really like, you know, an acceptance of ambivalence. And uh, we all encounter ambivalence and ambiguity in our lives. And, um, you know, any model of life, any way of life we choose um, or that is chosen for us has this ambiguity. So, um, you know, when you're in a relationship, you know, there are good and bad sides, you know, you will have times when you feel okay and happy and content, but also in relationships you have times when you feel lonely and unhappy and um, want to get out of it. And it's the same with being single. You know, like um, in our society, we often think of... um, single people as unhappy and as lonely and um, and that's completely ridiculous you know because it's like one way of life and it's right at the center of all social models in western europe roughly 40 percent of people um, of adults are you know you know live by themselves are single mm-hmm. you know it's a huge number and of course that's you know that's one of our major ways to live today but even that way you know has its ambiguity so I wanted to show, you know, um, this range of emotions that you, you know, you go through when, when you live on your own. You know, I wanted to show like the wonderful sides, um, 
but I also want to show like the difficult sides, uh, the, mm. the challenging sides. And I, and I think, um, you know, it would be like dishonest to pretend that, um, you know, everything is great and let's be a beat about it. And, you know, like, um, because, you know, it's like, um, you know, I do think that, um, you know, we have to work through that ambivalence, um, in order to live a good, uh, content life, to, in order to get, you know, to, you know, something really positive, you know, like sustainably positive. Yeah. It's so true. And I guess it's, it's the same, both being in a relationship and being single in a relationship, we can, you know, put out that, um, image that everything's fine and, and it's great and it's all rosy, but we can also do the same when we're single, you know, there's very much that, I guess, a movement on social media, like celebrating your singleness and like, Oh, I'm perfectly happy. Yes. I don't need anyone. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. I, I guess we get that, don't we? Yeah. That's that, that can yeah. be true, but let's be honest about the fact that, there, there are some great sides to it, but there are also some very low points. I mean, I don't know about yeah. you, but can you kind of within a day go through, go, you know, <laughs> ride that roller coaster of waking up feeling, feeling great? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm on my own and I can decide how I want to spend the day. And then by the evening, like getting in front of the TV with, with Netflix, you're ah, like, oh, it'd, it'd be kind of nice to have someone to cozy up to here. <laughs> You know, I mean, I, I personally have to say, I, I don't, I don't have this sort of longing, uh, really, for a romantic relationship anymore. That sort of stopped mm. for me, and um, <clears throat> but I am aware that you know this might just be a phase. You know, it might just right. be something I'm going through, and um, you know, um, the last few years have been like intense um, work-wise, and and so it's you know, I that sort of stopped for me that that kind of longing and. Um, but I, I know this feeling, you know, and I know the feeling that you describe, um, um, this, uh, you know, this, yeah, this, this shifting and, and, but I think maybe, you know, that's also what I, what it is, what I mean with ambiguity or ambivalence or accepting that ambiguity. I think, um, uh, if you're accepting of this range of emotions, you know, then, um, you know, you're able to deal with it differently, you know, so, you know, you might notice, oh, okay, you know, when I sit in front of the TV and watch Netflix, oh, okay, maybe it would be nice if someone were here with me. Uh, but, um, you know, it's not like a bad feeling necessarily, mm. you know, it's more like something, oh, yeah, maybe that would be nice. Um, so, do, do you know what I mean? It's, a, you know, it's not a longing, maybe it can, you know, it can be, it can get bad. You know, I mean, you don't have to, obviously, but yeah, no, no, completely. And it feels like that, that that applies to so many other areas of life as well, where like the acceptance of is so important, but that doesn't mean that it has to define you. Like you might go, oh, I wish I was a bit health, a bit fitter. Oh, I wish I, I don't know, just just anything where you go like that, that, that kind of emotion, that thought that pops up, it's, it's a sign. It's telling you something, but you don't have to like run away with it. Do you, you don't have to like let it consume you for the entire evening or, or week or month. It doesn't have to be a problem, you know, it's no. like, you know, it can be a thought, it can be a wish, you know, but yeah. it's like, it doesn't have to be a, you know, a problem. Like an issue. Yeah. Like, it doesn't have to be a problem. I like that. Yeah. I like that. And so it's something you touched upon there, which I was going to come to later, but, but let's talk about it now is that, um, you, you talked about where was this quote that you said, you wonder whether, whether I've become so good at living alone that I no longer notice my loneliness. And so, 
like could you could you speak to that like that you are that maybe you're you're used to not mm. being in a relationship and and maybe you're you're not noticing being alone i guess it, this doesn't even just apply to relationships does it it could be it could apply to friendships or or, or whatever the case that may be mm. that you're yeah you're you, you don't notice it as much anymore and you're kind of yeah. more accepting of it like where's how do you how do you feel about that mm-hmm. You know what? I would like to emphasize that uh, you know, you know, living alone and being lonely are two completely different things. You know, and, yeah. and that's maybe what you know where this sort of upbeat uh, social media attitude comes from. That you know, celebrates being single and celebrates not needing anyone and celebrates the freedom that comes along with it. Um, because you know, we live in a society that equates uh, being alone with being lonely, and that's just mm-hmm. simply not true. And you know, there have been studies um, in, in Germany, I have to say, there have been studies, um, uh, you know, about when people feel lonely. And um, it turned out that straight women, for instance, feel more lonely when they are in a relationship than when they are not. So for, you know, straight women in our, you know, today's day and age and our society, um, it means that, you know, they feel less lonely when, you know, they're not in a relationship. For straight men, it's different. Funny enough, um, straight men feel more lonely um, when they are living on their own, and there are no there are, there are no such studies for queer people, and um, and I yeah and I I imagine it might be different for queer people. But I'm, I'm not sure. Um, so um, yeah, so you know you know I when people to understand that. Loneliness is something that all of us will experience uh, in our lives. And that, you know, probably most of us already have experienced. The thing with loneliness, though, is that it's like, you know, an almost traumatic experience. So we tend to, you know, forget it. We tend to suppress that, um, you know, phase, you know, that emotion or these phases in our lives. And it's not happened for me. Like in the book, there's a chapter about, um, my really acute sense of loneliness during the lockdowns, uh, during the pandemic. And, uh, and I know that is a thing that many people had, you know, many people were living, you know, on their own, but also many people like in relationships and, um, or in other living arrangements. And, um, it's so funny because when I read from the book, um, you know, during events and I read uh, from, from that chapter, I always feel, wow, oh my God, you, you did feel that, you know, but like, I, I mean, I, I have almost forgotten that. So we actually, you know, like, and we press it. I'm, I'm quite glad, like, you know, I can, you know, I can read it on paper and have it on paper, you know, well, that's how you felt. And, you know, and you now you've forgotten it. So, um, loneliness is a very traumatic experience because, you know, we're not ourselves, you know, psychological issues come up like depression, anxiety. Um, it's not a, you know, an illness, you know, it's not a, not a mental illness, but it's, it's it's a feeling that often goes along with like difficult psychological issues, and we can't be ourselves because there are certain parts of ourselves missing that only exist in relationship, you know, to other people. So you know, and so it's in a ve- on a very basic level, it's not possible to be yourself when you're lonely. And, um, and, you know, regardless of how many wonderful friends you have, regardless of how great your relationship is, you will experience loneliness in certain, certain 
points in your life. You know, when you get sick, you know, you're bound to feel lonely because you're literally excluded from the realm of the healthy people. You know, when someone you love dies, um, you will feel lonely. Um, you know, age often goes along with um, a different kind of social life that, you know, can include loneliness. So um, in our general lifetime, we have to practice, you know, this acceptance of loneliness. You know, we have to, you know, learn to see that there's things we can only experience and learn through loneliness. Um, you know, we, um, you know, have to give it a certain place in our lives. So, um, you know, it's, you know, I don't think we can talk about loneliness only in relationship to being single because, um, you know, being in a relationship is no cure for loneliness. You know, it might seem that way, but um, that's not how it is. Oh, c completely valid points. And in fact, that, that tweet that I mentioned earlier that I put out, a good number of the comments were, like this really spoke to me, but I'm in a relationship. I, I, I've yes. got a partner and I've got children and I feel really lonely. And, and, of, and of course, I kind of want to comment back saying, well, yeah, of, like, of course, I understand that. I didn't mean that because I'm single, I'm somehow more lonely than you. I didn't mean that. I'm just speaking to my experience. But it, it's really interesting just how many people comment saying, I'm surrounded by people, but I feel extremely alone. So it, it just makes me think, oh, why is that? How can that be? Um, yeah, how can you be alone, lonely but, but be surrounded by people? Is it because you're yeah. maybe those people aren't being themselves around other people? They're having to hide certain parts. Maybe they're, I don't know, they're, they're wanting something from those relationships that they're not getting. I don't know. Mm -hmm. how, how could that be, do you think? You know, I, I feel that there are always things uh, in the world that are difficult for us to talk about. Mm. You know, that there are always, that, you know, we always walk around with certain questions. Um, we're not really willing or not able to face or to address. And, um, you know, we, we have our blind spots and, um, and we do live in a world, um, that, um, you know, doesn't really care about these blind spots. You know, that is completely fine with not talking about certain things that actually encourages you to not talk about what troubles you. So, um, you know, this, you know, really, um, you know, has become much better. And, and, and I know in, in Britain, you have this, um, you know, this stiff upper lip thing, you know, and then there's a German version of that too, you know, it's sort of a, uh, a saying about being Prussian, you know, where like, you know, you repress your feelings and, you know, you're being like a, you know, um, a good bourgeois person and, you know, keep your problems to yourself. Right. And, um, and that is a kind of attitude that definitely, you know, that um, breeds loneliness almost in a way because, um, you know, you, uh, when you believe in that, you will, you know, have to deal with all these very human issues, all these very human problems. Um, you know, on your own, you know, it's impossible to talk about it. And so in my book and uh, also my other books, it's really important to me to, you know, to get to these difficult questions, you know, to not answer the easy questions, but like go beyond the easy questions and see, you know, what questions we don't like to ask ourselves, you know, what are the questions that we are afraid to address? 
because um, these are the questions we have to talk about. And um, these are also the questions we have to talk about on our cultural level, on our societal level, uh, because if we don't talk about them, it's not only that, you know, we are less happy or we will encounter these, uh, you know, this feeling of loneliness and this feeling of not being able to communicate things, but also as a society won't change, you know, mm -hmm. because actually, you know, this stiff upper lip or this Prussian attitude of uh, repressing your emotions, you know, that ultimately serves uh, only like the existing power structures we live in. And, um, you know, and, and obviously that is something that uh, needs to be changing too. Mm -hmm. So what kind of questions do you mean? Is this kind of like, you know, penetrating through the just talking about the weather and just talking about how your job is? <laughs> what, that, what? that is a very British thing, talking That's about That's a very weather. British thing, yeah. Which yeah, is yeah. so funny because you always have sort of decent weather, you know, it's always a similar temperature. It's actually quite nice when you come from from Central Europe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The answer is usually grey and cloudy. Um, <laughs> but not freezing and not too hot, mostly. Yes. Exactly, exactly. Just moderate yeah. all the time. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So so what are the, the bigger questions that so are you saying that if we if we talk oh, about yeah. these bigger questions yeah. we'll we'll come together more, we'll we'll feel more connection, we'll feel yeah. more closeness. Is that what we're getting yeah. at? It is you know it's so funny because we are actually we just did the same, you know, what we described. You know, we talked about the weather instead of like talking about the issues, you know, like we, just, <laughs> we tried to avoid it. <laughs> yes, no. That was too, you know, too difficult a question. Um, you know, but, the, but one example I can give for, you know, this kind of question is that alone was supposed to become a book about friendship. And I was very sure I wanted to, you know, write about my friends because they are the, really the most important people in my life. And, um, and they play such a big role in alone too. You know, it's also a book about friendship and how we, yeah. you know, often misunderstand it. And, um, but you know, in the beginning, it was to be a book about, um, you know, how friendships can replace a romantic relationship, um, how friendships make up for, you know, the lack of um, romantic love in your life. And um, and I was so sure that um, you know that, that that's the case. And the more I researched about it, and I always read a lot for my books because it's important to me not to like you know come up in 2023 and say, oh, this is what I'm thinking about friendships and about you know loneliness. But um, you know there are so many other people who've written a great many things about these topics that you know you should take into account. Hmm. So um, you know I. When I researched about it and when I read about it and when I started writing about it, I realized, oh, you know, you're hiding behind that question because the real question that you don't want to face is, can you live a fulfilled, a good, a content life on your own, you know? And that was a big question in my mind. And uh, I actually, I wasn't sure whether it was possible for me, you know? Mm. I wasn't sure whether I could have a content, a fulfilled life without a partner. And, um, and when I realized that it was, you know, you know, I, I sort of got afraid because, you know, I didn't want to answer that question. You know, I wanted to press it and, you know, and not talk about it. And then, and that is always a moment as a writer where you, have to sit down and start writing, unfortunately. Right. <laughs> so I did. <laughs> do the work, do the work. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, that's, I mean, that's a very big question. And 
or, or what's your conclusion? Can, can you be content and happy without a romantic relationship? I, I am a hundred percent sure that you can. Right. And, um, but I'm also a hundred percent sure that, um, you know, it, it will be a contentment, a fulfillment that as any other contentment and fulfillment in one's life is ambivalent, you right, know, that's right. is ambiguous. Um, you know, it will never be a fulfillment that's like completely happy and rosy, as you said earlier. It's, um, you know, um, it's, and that's, you know, that actually might be difficult to accept because, you know, the fantasy that at some point, you know, you will, um, you know, encounter a rosy patch in your life, you know, that's a very strong fantasy and, um, um, it's definitely, you know, it's definitely difficult to, to let go of it. Yeah. 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 Because there are of course aspects of a relationship that a, f a friend cannot, um, replace a certain moment, you know, <laughs> intimacy and, you know, evenings and things like that, you know, the, the, the friend can't quite fill that role. Well, unless it's a friend with benefits, I guess, but, um, <laughs> that's where it gets a bit uh, complicated. Sex, then, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly it. That's exactly it. Mm. Um, so that, that is one, one thing. I mean, you, you do talk about, uh, the, the, like you said, the book is a real um, like homage to your friends, isn't it? Just just how important they are, and I, I guess you you really come to explain the the really important role that friendship plays in your life. Um, and so, for people that I suppose are are feeling lonely, not in a relationship, but maybe they're even thinking like, I haven't got much friendships around me as well. Like, mm -hmm. How mm -hmm. uh, how how can they? you know, build, build a circle of friends, or maybe there are some friendships that they just need to rekindle and, 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 um, you know, get close to again. Is that a kind of a process that you went through or, or that you think about to, you know, if we're saying how important friendship is, mm -hmm. how can I, how can I nurture that? How can I get closer to my friends? Is it about making more time mm -hmm. for them? Um, you know, what, what can I do there? Mm. <laughs> um, yeah. Let me answer the friend question first, um, mm. you know, and then let's talk about the sex question. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I do feel that um, we often misunderstand what our friendships are about. And, um, and that misunderstanding is a long history, uh, a long philosophical history. We tend to believe that, uh, you know, we love our friends because they are so similar. You know, they are sort of an alter ego, you know, a different eye. And, um, and, you know, that's a you know, very productive illusion when you're young. And that also, also has been a study about, which is very interesting. It comes from the Netherlands. And they um, looked at, um, um, you know, an introductory class for psychology students at a university. And, um, and they tried to find out uh, how they became friends. And, um, and so, they asked all these students who, um, university students who had become friends, why they had become friends. And they said, because, you know, we think about things, you know, very similarly. You know, you see the world in a very similar way, you know, like we've made very similar experiences, we come from similar backgrounds and so on. And they really believed that. And, uh, and then they looked um, at where those students were sitting in the classroom. And it turned out that, 
you know, they mostly became friends because they were sitting next to each other. Right, yeah. And, um, and there was even a relation, like, between, like, there was a different probability, like, if someone uh, sat in front of you or behind you or, you know, two seats next to you, then it was much more likely that you'd become friends with them instead of with someone who was at the other end of the classroom. Mm. So we believe that um, it's the case that we are friends with people because they're, you know, like us. But uh, the truth is that that's not the case. And um, and I find that in my life, you know, um, the friendship have stayed that in which I was able to let go of that illusion of similarity, you know. Mm. Uh, the friendships have stayed in my life and have become important uh, in which I was able to see the other person for what the other person is, you know, and to um, not only accept, but to celebrate and enjoy the otherness of that other person, um, to, you know, to tap into this different view of life they have, this different set of experiences. And friendship is one of the only spaces in our everyday lives where it's possible for us to do this. Mm. Because we are so wrapped up usually in, in our view of the world, uh, in, in our emotions and our uh, understanding of you know what life is, that it's difficult to get beyond that understanding. And um, and friends, um, you know, are people that you know can help us do that. And uh, it's very rare in our life that we have this opportunity. So um, I think, you know, if you want advice, which I, you know, probably can't give because, you know, I'm, I'm a writer, I would say, you know, look at your friendships and see, you know, where you, what you expect from your friends, you know, what, um, what do you want from them? And is it really, you know, something that you want for yourself or is it, and is it really something that they can give you? Um, and maybe, you know, uh, you know, think about whether you're, you're missing, like, you know, the real encounter of the friendship, of the friendship, you know, the, um, that you're like, maybe you're so wrapped up in your wants, needs and expectations that you can't see the other person for what he or she is. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like good advice to me. I know you're underplaying it, but it's, 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 so, it's great it's, advice. <laughs> it, is. it really is. It really is uh, because I, you know, we can get caught up in those friendships that you've you've been friends with them for a long time. So you just keep going through the motions, don't you? You keep doing the mm. same things, meeting up, maybe having a drink, and just talking about the same things and. I suppose in that way, that's how you can be surrounded by people, but feeling lonely because you're just kind of like, is this it? Like, is this all we've got to talk about? Like, this isn't really me actually, because I've become really interested in, I don't know, psychology, or I've become really interested mm -hmm. in philosophy and I want someone to talk to about these things. So it's like you said, like, I, can, can we dive a bit deeper with the friends that we've got? But also maybe, maybe you realize, all oh, right, I haven't got quite as much in common with these people. And yeah, they're still a friend and I still love them and I still see them, but maybe there's, there's other people that I can connect with and, and make some bonds over the things that we both have shared passions over. And I know, like you said, you don't want to be only surrounding yourself with people that are just a mirror of you that are exactly mm -hmm. interested in the exact same thing. I do. 
I do see kind of a sign of my own um, growth or maturity that I I like talking to people that have a different view to me now. Whereas only mm-hmm. two years ago, I think just two years ago, if someone said something about nutrition or I don't know exercise that I disagreed with, I don't want to talk to them anymore. And it's like no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just yeah, a bit too kind of. <clears throat> would unfollow someone on social media just for having a different mm-hmm. opinion. And, mm-hmm. and of course, that's not the way to go, is it? You, we've got to get the whole melting pot of opinions and viewpoints and cultures and outlooks. And, and that's how we create something special. So I, I, th- I think it's really good advice. I think it's great <laughs> advice around friendship. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad. Back to the, um, yeah, the sex question. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny now, you know, I've done a lot of talks about, about this book in Germany and it always comes to that. And it's, um, um, you know, obviously a question that's on many people's minds. And um, I have to say that our attitudes, um, around sex have changed so much in our society and um, that, um, you know, it is possible to have sex outside of a monogamous, um, mm-hmm. you know, conventional relationship. And, um, you know, that's something that, you know, we should keep in mind. And, you know, and, uh, and obviously there are, you know, many, you know, it's, it's a whole spectrum of uh, you know, sexual needs and sexual, sexual, sexual wishes. And, um, you know, and, uh, for some people, it might be, uh, completely fine to, you know, go along without sexual encounters for a period of time. For other people, it might not be, mm. you know, and, but, um, the thing is, um, um, being single doesn't mean that you, know, you don't have sex, you know, it's uh, very obviously. <laughs> Um, and I and I feel, uh, for instance, like you know, the sole issue on dating apps. You know, it's um, you know, I feel you know there are many people use them. You know, and because uh, they make these kind of encounters easier. You know, they, um, and um, so I'd say it would be good to divorce the issue of sex from the issues, from the issue of relationships, you know, a little bit, you know, mm. obviously they are connected and obviously for a great many people, you know, it's, that's very important, you know, like monogamous relationships are very important to people, um, to, to many people. And, um, and, um, you know, and for many people, that's like their way of life and that's wonderful, you know, and friends, I'm, I'm really happy for all my friends who, enter these kind of romantic relationships and um, um, when it is something they have been looking for or want, you know, that they wanted. Um, and, uh, but um, I think it's just a fallacy to assume that, assume that, um, you know, like you only can have sex, you know, when you're, you know, in a monogamous convention relationships and because, um, yeah, that is also not a guarantee. For, for having a great sex life, as I understand. <laughs> all, all valid points, Daniel, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I'm glad we talked about it. <laughs> it does make me think, uh, however, though, um, that there might, you know, I'm thinking about um, 
men, and, and I'm sure it might be the case for women as well, that are, because they are missing that, that intimacy and closeness and, and the touch that they, they look for it in, you know, if they're not in the relationship, they, they look for it in, in uh, perhaps casual sex or, you know, brief, brief relationships and things. And so is there an element of that where, where people are, if something's missing and they're craving intimacy, but they're looking for it in, in the wrong place. Do you see what I mean? They're, they, and, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but do you see what I'm getting at? That there, there may yes, be. And, I, and then, yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. And, you know, and again, you know, straight men do this, queer men do this, you know, queer mm. people do it, like straight women do this, queer women, transgender people, everyone does this. And it's, yeah. um, you know, that's part of our like path, you know, this is sort of like, you know, a part of our, you know, becoming the people that we will become. That's a part of, you know, uh, growing up to, um, to actually get an understanding what kind of intimacy you really need in your life, you know, mm. to, learn to navigate that dance of intimacy. And, um, um, but I, but I feel like, you know, we are so quick to, you know, pathologize certain very human emotions or certain very human actions that we do, you know, and also like, we're quick to pathologize certain stalemates we get in certain walls we run into over and over again but um when that actually it's not really like you know and um you know something pathological but uh something we have to go through we have to learn in our lives you know and for me there have been a great many things um that i had to learn that were very difficult for me to learn you know there have been a great many walls i ran into over and over and over again until at some point i stopped Mm. And um, I think my point is that, you know, you know, it takes time to get to know yourself and get to know what you want and what you need and, um, you know, how you see life and what other people mean to you and uh, what your body means to you and so on. Mm. And um, And it's really important not to, you know, not to see the pathology in it that uh, very often it's not there, even though we think it's there. Can you speak more about this? Cause I'm, 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 <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not lost, but I'm thinking, so <laughs> are you saying, yeah, to, to understand that craving, like if you've got a craving for intimacy, why is that? And, and not thinking, well, that there, there must be something wrong with me because I'm craving that intimacy. And, and then you talked about some of the lessons that you've learned as well, some of the walls that you hit. So I'm, I'm interested to hear more about what, you know, what, what did you come up against that then you've, you've got over? What do you mean by that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess I was being a bit evasive. Um, you know, I feel there are, you know, so many different attitudes about sex. You know, there are so many different attitudes about uh, romantic relationships. Uh, there are so diff- many different attitudes to intimacy that we have to find uh, what out what we really want, what we need. Um, right. Okay. And um, and that's like that's you know always that's bound to be a long process. You know, mm. and it's a you know it's it's a 
journey. It's such a, you know, used up metaphor, but it's, it is true, you know, and on that journey, we are bound to run into problems, you know, we are bound to run into these walls. But also we have to run into them in order to, you know, to grow and to order to grow up. So and what I'm saying is that, um, you know, um, you know, there are definitely, you know, um, difficult or problematic um, sort of traps you find yourself in your life sometimes when it comes to sex and relationships. But it's, um, I really would warn of quickly pathologizing them. And instead, you know, I, I would encourage people to, you know, look into this and to see and to find out what it tells you about you and your needs and, uh, you know, what it tells you about your shortcomings, about your fears, um, to do the inner work that um, is, you know, necessitated by finding yourself in these traps. Yeah. Do, do you see what I'm getting at? Yeah, I do. Yes, I do. Okay. And, I, and I, it makes me think back to something that you said earlier when we first started talking about the kind of, the, the empowering element of, of being of, of solitude and being on your own, that if you don't need anyone else, that might be something that you start to explore the kind of, you know, do I really need that intimacy? Do I really need that connection? Yeah. And, and how, how empowering is it when you realize that you, you, you don't need, you don't necessarily need that and yeah. that well, I can be here sat perfectly happy on my own and yes. and that is a skill and I think it's even a bit of a in my experience it's a bit of a worry when I've come across people that can't be alone even for a second I think did yes. you talk about this yeah. in your book that you you yeah. were, I, were I like used that. to be one of these people oh my yeah. god yes you couldn't yeah. spend a moment yeah. on your on your own <laughs> it was horrible it was, <laughs> and I really couldn't like you know I, and the points with relationships you know I've been in like I mean until I was like 35, I was like always in relationships. Like between 19 and 35, like there might have been like three weeks in my life when I wasn't in a relationship, really? you know. I mean, I literally couldn't be alone. I mean, not in general, but also I couldn't be, you know, spend an evening by myself. You know, I had to go out and I had to go meet people. And I had to do things. And, um, and the sort of restlessness, you know, the sort of running away from yourself, it's, um, you know, that is, you know, I feel that's like one way of hurting yourself because, um, you know, there, when you find yourself in these, these periods of your life, my feeling is that it definitely means that there are things you don't want to look at, but that you yes. need to look at. Yeah. And, um, yeah. I think that's it. Yeah, that you are perhaps distracting yourself, and maybe some some demons that need confronting. I mean, I'm not a psychologist; I I can't speak to this at all. But th that's kind of the sense that I get. And, and you know, we all do this kind of acutely, don't we? Like, there's something that I don't quite want to face. So I'm just going to scroll through Instagram and Twitter yes, and yeah. kind of ignore <laughs> it for a bit. And I suppose that's just on the longer term, isn't it? Um, there was a word you used in the book, and I can't remember. And I could, I, I tried to go back and find it. Um, that that meant to kind of lose faith, it lose faith in love, lose interest in looking for love. Was there a word that meant that that you mentioned in the book? Can you remember it? Um, don't worry if you if you don't. No, know no, no, unfortunately, but um, it felt like kind of like a, a Latin word or something. Yeah, that yeah, kind yeah. of. I think like the word that you're describing is called anhedonia, but that's not the that word I meant. 
Also that's um, not the word I mentioned in the book. Um, oh, okay. it has, um, um, you know, what I talk about is a certain, you know, hopelessness, you know, and a certain, you know, um, dryness of one's heart. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, and that is like, uh, you know, definitely something I've experienced in phases of my life, you know, where like, um, I, you know, I, I wasn't able to open myself up to, um, other people, to, um, romantic encounters, but also to, you know, encounters with friends. And, um, yeah. So, um, yeah. Well, it, no, cause it, it almost feels like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like you, you spend more time alone. So then maybe that's not the right term actually, but you know, you, you spend more time alone. So you get more used to it and then mm. like lose, lose faith and you're just kind of become more okay with it. So I, I guess my roundabout way of asking that, you know, how can we keep faith in, in finding love or, or even should we like, are you at a point where you're not, you're not even sure because you, you've, you've already spoken to the fact that you are, you're happy mm. and that, and that you feel like um, you can be perfectly content not being in a romantic relationship. But what if there's someone yeah. that doesn't want to lose yeah. that faith? Yeah. I think like what is really important is to realize that we don't have to, you know, right. Um, and we live in a culture that tells us we have to, you know, and even if you're single, people always say, oh, well, you'll find someone one day, you know, and it's like, well, but maybe that's not what I want, you know, mm. maybe that's not what I need. And, um, and just because we, we've grown up in a world that, you know, values romantic love um, above all other things, you know, that things that happiness only can be achieved through romantic love, um, you know, that doesn't mean that this is true. And it's not true. You know, it's not true for a great many people. And yeah. uh, to to think that, uh, you know, you don't live a full life, you know, when you don't find romantic love, is, um, you know, it's utterly false. And it's, uh, you know, that's a belief that makes so many of us unhappy. And it's a wrong belief, you know. Uh, so you don't have to find romantic love in order to have a wonderful, fulfilled, great, content, happy life. Um, and uh, but that doesn't mean that you know you might not want to at some point. You know, like you know maybe at some point in your life, like um, you know you will encounter someone that you like a lot and that you know you want to be um, more than a friend. You know. Maybe not, but, you know, it's like, but you don't have to. And I think this is like a point I really would like to stress. You, you don't have to, yeah. even though society tells you to. Yeah, kind of that, that taking the pressure off, I suppose. Like, it's not like every day I have to wake up and think, I've got to look for a partner. I've got to look for a partner. I'm desperate to find a partner. And I think it's more than that, you know, because right. it's um, because that's a belief that, uh, you know, society instills in us. And yeah. so... It's not something you can uh, necessarily only um, solve like individually. You know, you have to uh, understand that you live in a culture where that happens. You know, so uh, you have to understand when you see a movie that um, you know um, where romantic love plays this hugely important role, and um, you know 
that evokes that illusion that only romantic love can make you happy. When you watch the movie, you have to recognize that illusion. You know, you have to recognize what's going on there. You know, you have to recognize the fallacy that lies behind that belief. And so, um, in order for you to not feel it, otherwise you're just like reinforcing this like belief and, you know, in your, in you yourself are fighting against it. And it's, um, you know, it's not about taking the pressure off. It's like, it's about understanding in which world we are living in and, um, and, and about understanding how your life should be in this world and what kind of life you want in this world. Yeah. Yeah. I guess so many, the Disney movies, it's the, the prince and the princess finally end up together yeah. and that's when they're happy. Yeah. Only once they've yes, kind of yeah. found the prince. And then the movie stops. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Happy ever after. Yeah. And, and I guess it's also about those milestones, isn't it? The, the, the milestones of life that you're expected to check off, buy a mm. house, get married, yeah. have children. And if you're not ticking off those milestones in at, at the exact right, you know, within the right, like five year window or something that you should have achieved them. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, you know, you get that kind of head tilt, like, Oh, it's okay. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's something yeah. else that I was going to talk to you about that, that sympathy um, that you can get from, you know, friends and family, which is, of course is, is very well-meaning, isn't it? That they're looking after you. They want you to be happy. But it's kind of like, oh, don't worry, like you'll you'll be okay. And it's like, yeah, I know, like I, I am okay. And yeah, I've got those kind of maybe pangs personally, but but I don't need anyone really to to feel sorry for me or anything, just because I'm not hitting yeah. the checklist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it it really is interesting because um you you get this kind of sympathy from and not only from your friends and family, but also from like, you know, complete strangers. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it's and it's um and it's really important to realize that it's not about you, about that, but it's about them. You know, they want to reinforce the belief that their life is built on. Um, they need to reinforce the belief that, um, you know, romantic relationships, um, the most important thing, you know, are the things that make you happy. And very often they need to reinforce that belief because they feel they know and they understand it doesn't make them happy, you know. Um, and, um, so you're like, uh, very often as a single person, you're like this weird, like danger for their like worldview, you know, because like, um, they believe they're in a relationship that should make them happy and it doesn't. And, um, but there's someone who, you know, doesn't have a relationship. So you have to convince that person, well, you know, this will make you happy and, and you will get there, you know? So it's, it's about them. And it's not about you. Yeah. Right. And it's so whenever you, I mean, whenever I encounter uh, someone saying such a thing, I always think, ah, oh, I'm wondering, okay, what's, what's going on in your life? Like, how, how is your relationship going? You know, like, um, are you actually happy in that house? Do you, you know, do you want to live that life that you're living right now? And, uh, and sometimes I'm even asking these things after a conversation, of course, you know, not right away, but, um, you know, um, so I'm trying to see what's um, what's behind, you know, their sympathy. Yes. Interesting, yeah. That mirror that's being held up to them—that's that, yeah. That that's making them ask these questions and and make these comments. That it's such a good point. Mm-hmm. Um, can I ask you about? You, you mentioned about um, 
the the pandemic and lockdown. I wanted to briefly ask you about that, like any lessons that you learned from that? Because of course, a lot of people found that very difficult. And I think a lot of people that were were living alone in particular, um, if they would have to go for weeks, months on end without mm. without contact, um, was a was a really tough time, wasn't it? Is there anything that you've that you took away from from that experience that really helped you in particular? You know, that is such a good question um, because you know there are definitely things I you know I've learned. Um, for instance, that loneliness is a part of life, um, mm. and um, that we all will feel lonely at some point. In, your, in our lives and um, but at the same time I feel it's um, you know we're in the process of um, that might sound wrong but we're in the process of romanticizing the pandemic you know now that it feels like it has passed you know and um, and I feel this sort of need to you know learn lessons from a difficult time in your life um, um, you know, it's a very understandable need, but maybe it's not what we should do, you know, because it was an awful time. You know, so many people got sick, so many people died. Um, you know, it's um, a time when most of us felt completely powerless and really deeply afraid um, of the future. And, um, and so... You know, we might want to have some control after now, you know, that we're sort of through it, you know, or that, um, you know, that it seems like it's behind us. Um, and, you know, and this sort of like need to learn lessons from it, like speaks to that wish for control. But it's um, in the end, uh, it was something, it will always be something, you know, we're not able to control. And, um, you know, and once in, in something similar, comes around um, those lessons we've learned, um, you know, we think we've learned, uh, might not help us because, you know, it will be again something that's out of our control. Yeah. It's very negative. I'm sorry. It's like a downer. But no. <laughs> yeah, the, le the lessons might not apply or maybe we'll just forget them if there's one thing yeah. that, you know, <laughs> history, history teaches us. We, we forget the lessons we've learned, don't yeah. we? Yeah. Oh, you always do, unfortunately. Yeah, it's so true. And, and it's like so many things where, yeah, you, you can go through a period a tough time and it's like yeah what did I learn and how did I grow and how can I meditate on this and reflect and yeah maybe like you said no it was just a shit time <laughs> and that, yes, that was yes. it <laughs> like we just don't want to go through it again yeah. that is a good summary yes thank you <laughs> thank you for finding these concise words <laughs> um that was one final question um that I wanted to ask and that was around um do you think that being single as a gay man has like it's a unique set of challenges or, or anything compared to to other people. I just thought yeah. I'd ask you that well at the end. Well, you know, in the book there's a chapter about queer shame, and it's um, and I want to include that chapter because it's uh, you know shame is such an important thing for many of us, and so many of us feel shame, you know, in relationship to our bodies, in relationship to our social class. Um, and, you know, for queer people often in relationship with that queerness. 
And shame is something that not, you know, magically appears in you. It's something that, um, you know, the world that you live in instills in you. And, um, and so um, I think what's really important not to forget for queer people, you know, especially queer people of a certain generation, is that all these, like, horrific attitudes towards queerness, um, you know, that... Uh, for centuries and decades uh, have found their ways into laws and, and into our way of life, um, of course, will have effects on you, you know. Um, you know, that now, you know, being gay or being queer or being lesbian or being transgender is not a crime anymore, you know, um, as it used to be for a long time and until very recently, you know. Um, now that it's not considered a mental illness anymore, you know, as it was until 1996 by the World Health Organization. So it's not that long ago. Um, you know, that doesn't mean that you won't feel the effects of it, you know, and um, that uh, there, you know, that you won't feel ashamed of it when you grow up in this kind of world, you know, and it's, and, and there is, seems to be this attitude that, you know, oh, let's not talk about this anymore because, you know, now everything is wonderful and, you know, and why do you complain? Mm. Um, and it's, uh, you know, there's still lots of hate crimes out there. And there's now there's a rising sentiment against, uh, for instance, transgender people, you know. Um, and it's it's so awful because it, you know, reinforces this kind of shame. And... Um, um, you know, and I'm not like saying that, um, you know, it's, that is the reason why it's especially difficult for queer people to find relationships. Uh, what I'm saying is that this kind of shame, um, you know, is active in some people. And, um, and it's not only an individual thing, it's instilled by the society we are living in. Uh, and it's also, a shame that other people have in other areas of life. For instance, like I think like social class is like a, mm -hmm. you know, a deep source of shame. And uh, in, in any Western country to an almost ridiculous degree, um, you know, the body, you know, I mean, I know so many people who feel ashamed of their bodies and it's such a difficult shame to get rid of, you know, because it's, it is literally in your body. You know, mm -hmm. and then that can attach and shame can attach itself to like everything, you know, to, to how you view yourself, to the world, to how you view relationships, you know, to, to your work, to, um, yeah, it, it's there all the time in your everyday life. And it's, um, you know, it's, it's a difficult thing to face. And, but, you know, it's also really important to face it. Yes. Mm. So yeah, have you have you thought about how to to navigate that and how to kind of organize that in your in your mind? Any shame that you might be feeling? Do you see what I mean? Is there any yeah, advice you've you got know, around that? Well, <laughs> I think like for me, that's definitely something of friendships coming. And in, in the book, right. I show how you know um, in the book I describe how I went to to the Canary Islands with two friends of mine and. Um, you know, I went hiking, and, uh, and every night we watched uh, Pedro Almodovar movies, like the movies of his 
Spanish filmmaker we all loved. And, um, and so, you know, for me, that was a time when I acutely felt the shame coming up and when I actually realized, okay, this is what's going on. Mm-hmm. And, um, and also the conversations with these two friends, that was the thing that helped me because to realize that they, you know, they have made similar experiences, you know, they find, they found their way around it, you know, they found a different way around it for me, but it's, but they showed me that I'm not alone with this. They showed me that there are ways to deal with it. You know, the, it's, um, you know, it, they, they showed me that, you know, this is a very human thing I'm going through. So I would say, uh, yeah, talking about it to friends is like, you know, maybe the first thing we should do when we have these feelings of shame. Of shame. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I completely agree. I think thoughts can come into our head, intrusive, irrational thoughts. Yeah. And, and you think I'm the only one in the world thinking this. I'm the only one in the world that's gone through this. How horrible of me to be thinking about this, about myself or about other yeah, people. Yeah. And then you talk to a friend and you're like, yeah, I, I, I've had that thought as well. Or, or yeah. I've made that same mistake. Um, so very quickly you realize you're not alone, aren't you? And that's sometimes enough to just go, ah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 Oh. Well, Daniel, I've, I've really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you so Me much for, for being open, honest, and um, yeah, just, just explaining the lessons that are in your book. Um, it was brilliant. It was brilliant. Thank you so much for your time. Bef- before you go, I have um, three quick fire questions that I ask yes. every guest. So you can yeah. answer very, very, you know, very short answers, or yeah. you can expand on them as much as you like. It's completely <laughs> up to you. But the the first one, and this might very well be related to what we've already talked about, but um, the first question is, what's one lesson you wish you'd have been taught when you were a child? Uh, oh, you know, you, you sent me those questions. I mean, <laughs> these are the questions I forgot. Oh, no. <laughs> God, that's such a difficult question. Um, uh, I, I don't want to answer it because I think we actually, we have to go through life learning these lessons. And, it, you know, it would be great if um, you know, um, you know, we we want to teach our children, you know, different lessons than the ones that we've grown up with. But uh, to get to these lessons, you know, we need to go through our lives. So you know, I I, I don't wish for a different life, even though we definitely, you know, had, you know great difficulties. You know, yeah. yeah. And what about a, a habit that maybe you've introduced into your life um, that has made a difference to you? Is there anything that, you know, a daily yeah. habit that you think has really yeah. helped you that might help other people? You know, I, I suffered from depression for a long time in my life. And like, and, um, I had to learn to force myself to go out every day and walk, you know, and even if it's just for half an hour. And that's something I do every day. Um, and um, um, so, yeah, and I think this is like a wonderful habit. And it's not you know, a big revelation. And, uh, you know, I mean, you read about it everywhere, but it actually works. And it's, um, it actually uh, works because it makes you feel like you're part of the world, you know, and uh, moving your body does something, you know, to how you feel. 
And, um, you know, and even if you don't notice it right away, like, you know, you know, at some point and even, you know, if you have days where it feels like a horrible idea because the weather is awful and like, you know, it's, but still actually, you know, so that's like the one habit I recommend every person to, you know, to, to get or to, you know, to, to have and to, yeah, to find. And the last question, which I think maybe for someone as like well-read as you, this could be a really tricky one. But if you could give everyone in the world just one book, what would you give? <laughs> Mine, obviously. <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> perfectly valid answer. <laughs> so everyone should either get a copy of Alone and um, um, read it and start you know, to work through certain things for themselves. Um, but, you know, apart from, I mean, it was, you know, it was a sort of a joke, but then it wasn't really, but, you know, again, I mean, but, um, you know, I have to say that um, I think, I personally think the world would be a better place if every person in the world would read Anna Karenina uh, because it's such a, you, you know this novel by Todd's Toy. Like this, like it's like it's probably the best novel ever written. You know, right? And um, so yeah, you haven't read it. So you have you have to read it, Sam. It's like it's, okay. it's 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 quite big, but it's like it's like literally the best book that you will ever read. Believe me, because it's um, the view and this you know the view of the world in this novel. It's such a you know broad ranging, wonderful view of the world. It's and it makes you encounter humanity and different sides of humanity in a way you haven't encountered. And um, so Anna Karenina by left uh, Leo, I think you call him Leo here. It's a yeah. Leo Tolstoy, yeah. uh, Leo Tolstoy you say here, I think. Um, so it's, um, you know, that's, yeah, that's probably the book that everyone has to read. Yeah. Great recommendation. Great. And, and we joke about, um, you know, getting your book, but of course you, you've got to say where, where can people get their hands on a copy of, of your book? Where's the best place for them to, to purchase it? Every bookshop. And like, right. um, yeah. So, you know, I've made a little tour of bookshops uh, while at Wine in London and, um, and I was very happy to see, see it in every bookshop I was in. So, um, yeah. And um, and there's I think there's also a way to get a copy over the website of the publisher, which is called Reaction Books, yeah. like Reaction but with a K. Yeah. And um, yeah, and you know through all the usual sources you get, you know get books from. Yeah. That's excellent. All right, um, Daniel, thank you so much again. I, I really, really appreciate your time. I appreciate mm. you uh, writing this book. Mm. It, it spoke to me and I think it would speak to a lot more people that read it because people are people are feeling lonely. People are wrestling with these emotions of what it's like to live alone and not be in a relationship. And they are looking for community, aren't they? And they're looking for some kind of uh, recognition. They're looking for maybe advice is not the wrong right word, but you know, just, just some ideas of how they can navigate these periods of their life. And, and this book does that in, in a beautiful way. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for this really wonderful conversation, Sam. I, I had a great time. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you found my conversation with Daniel insightful. 
If you did enjoy the episode, please do share it with friends, family and colleagues who you think would find it interesting. And you can also support the podcast by following and rating the show on whichever app you're listening on. Thank you again, and I'm looking forward to bringing you another episode soon.